right, you're on. Hey, everybody. My name is Brandon Piasecki. I teach high school. No, you don't. <laughs> Cut that. Hey, everybody. My name is Brandon Piasecki. I teach science. I've taught high school and now I'm teaching fifth grade. What's up, everybody? My name is Jim Mares, and I teach high school English in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, retake. Retake. We'll just keep it rolling. We'll... Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I obviously, we can just cut, all, cut this first part. Great hey, content city. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. What's up? My name is Brandon Piasegi. I've taught high school science, and I'm going to be, be teaching fifth grade science next year. And I'm in California, Stockton, hey, California. Yes. What's up, everyone? My name is Jim Maris. I teach 11th grade English in Boston, Massachusetts. I uh, have taught in Brooklyn and then in the Arkansas Delta for a while. So happy to be happy to be podcasting about teaching. Welcome to Professional Development, where teachers talk about teaching. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, what's our question for today? Today we're learning, talking about how did you teach remotely? Yes. So yesterday we got into this a little bit. I think we kind of talked about like... Um, some of the big picture, just like personal reactions and responses to remote learning. But I feel like there's just, I feel like there's a, there's so much to say. Cause I remember being overwhelmed. Like yesterday we talked a little bit about like sort of the transition into group conversations and like the quick pivot into one-on-one -on -one support uh, immediately in remote learning. And like we talked about some of the challenges with um, just like getting kids to sign in. <laughs> oh, yeah. and how, I don't know how hard, but yeah, I think today would be helpful to sort of fast forward into the fall. Cause at that time, that was when my school was like, all right, we know that we're going to be settling into remote learning. Um, so, and then we started implementing structure, like a master calendar was a good idea. And like kids need to sign on to certain Zooms at these times. And so what, I think let's start here. If we could just, just talk me through, cause I'm curious about your experience with this. Talk me through the start of your Zoom school year. Like what happened? How are you thinking about it? What was going on? For sure. Um, the year, the year started off a lot better than, than it started in March of 2020. I, I will say, uh, I, I think, and across the board, I, in my anecdotal conversations with other teachers, I feel like it was it was similar. Um, Sign-ins were were way higher. Like it, it, attendance was almost almost like normal school attendance mm -hmm. um, in terms of sign-ins. So I think the challenge when it comes to like like there, there's a difference obviously between like signing in like that that is one like real kind of battle and and problem that we had to solve through in that first few months. But once you get there, then, then the challenge is engagement, right? Yeah. So I, I quickly realized, like, at first I was very excited. Like, yes, like I'm getting like, you know, 95%, like 97% attendance, which is like pretty normal, you know, every day. Even a regular school, you're going to have kids who are absent for one reason or another. Um, and, you know, there, there were obviously students that had certain, uh, like, ha had Wi-Fi issues here and there. And that, that, that's always a given. But by and large... Um, I think partially because like, you know, students had already had three months of distance learning with Zoom and like, I, I think some of the Wi-Fi issues and, and, and logistical challenges there or technical challenges were, um, were resolved for some students at least. So I, like just speaking from my own experience, like attendance and, and signs were, were way higher. So the, the challenge was engagement, like 
how do you like a kid signed on i see his name you know maybe not maybe even the camera's on and it's it's like facing the ceiling and like I, yeah. I, i'll be honest like i i the battle of like having your face on camera 24 7 like i i started doing doing what i could to to encourage that but i i didn't want to make it a battle i didn't want to make it a fight so as far as i thought right. as, what i thought about like my approach partially because of our class times class time was was shorter than our normal class periods would have been like in our in like a regular school year with uh, our regular school year we had block schedule with 95 minute classes now it was um still still block schedule but like like same exact like days a day b day kind of thing but classes were only 60 minutes so i'm going at two-thirds of my normal class time and so like time is mm -hmm. precious i can't spend time trying to convince students to turn their cameras on and put their face on camera and and so if you can like if, if i got an engagement from you in any kind of way whether it was talking whether it was chat you know that 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 was that was sort of how i my that was my strategy for um being efficient uh, yeah and kind of navigate those waters what about you yeah it's how interesting to hear yeah i think the um the whole cameras on debacle is really funny to think about because um, there's like, man, my head is going in all kinds of different places because um, it for us, it was a requirement to have the cameras on, right? And But there's all these ethical issues and people were like, um, well, can you, is that okay to like require that kids have their cameras on and like, initially we were supposed to literally remove them from the yeah. zoom room like if, if they had to yeah yeah and like <laughs> it, it was, was it was basically like you're not you're not in class we got a little uh i'll wait for the internet to come we back <laughs> this is uh, uh i don't know you're frozen remote teaching right here there it is. Okay, you're starting to move. Your body is catching up with your sound. <laughs> I see you nodding your head. <laughs> yeah, okay. Am I back? You're getting there. Okay. Okay, I think I think you might be back now. <laughs> when you said okay, it seemed to be matched up. Good. Are we matching up again? Uh, not quite. <laughs> see, this is a great, this is like, this is how remote teaching is. This is like it, it what... Often is. Like yeah. a mat, like this is like teaching your lesson. You just kind of have to sit and wait sometimes. Yep. I love it. This it sounds, back. it sounds like we're, yeah, it sounds like it's catching up a little bit. Yep. You got it. You're back. So yeah, the whole cameras, the cameras on thing was like uh, a real headache because some kids were like, they just would refuse. Right. And so like, what would end up happening is like, we were supposed to treat it as though they were like, not attending class and like being sort of i don't know not disrespectful but just like completely opting out and like that kind of is what what was going on but like my Aaron, aaron's brother just graduated from cornell like he he did an entire semester uh at cornell university and he never had his camera on right so like what are the expectations it's an ivy league school he's getting a high you know a really good consulting job as a fresh out of college like did an entire year of zoom and basically never had his camera on the entire time and i think like for me when i was i remember chatting about him or i remember chatting about that with him because it was just this 
really clarifying moment of like, oh man, how are we, how are we thinking about the assumptions and the motivations and how we're thinking about what the kids are doing behind the screen as, you know, a high school student versus a college student and, and what's the level of trust that's there. And, and so that was an interesting thing to have happen. But I, yeah, I definitely remember like at the beginning of the year, we were required to be like, well, if the kid doesn't have the camera on, you should text the kid. And I'm just like, no, like I don't have time. Do you understand that there's eight kids who don't have their camera on? Like, I'm not going to stop my lesson to text eight kids. Right. To tell them to put their camera on. So then it was like, then the administration was like, okay, yeah, you're right. Instead, just put them in the waiting room and text administration. And I'm like, no, also no to that. Like, I'm not (laughs) going to, like, why don't you monitor my Zoom attendance, which I submit on time? Like, what's the point of me submitting attendance every single period if I am then during the lesson required to do digital follow-up and micromanage who has their cameras on or not? Like, at some point, the kids are just going to stop signing on. Like, at least they're on. (laughs) That's where I was at. And, you know, know, I think for me, this year, a big theme for me as as far in terms of reflection on how I think about because I feel like oftentimes teaching, like there's going to be assumptions made. It's like, a, it's like a natural battle we have to sort of fight within ourselves, like and, and reflective process. We have to go in with ourselves no matter what format we're teaching in. There's going to be like, we, we're operating on limited information because even in, in person, you can't see what's going on inside a student's head, right? And so you're operating on body mm-hmm. language, right? You're operating on like lots, lots of little like subconscious uh, behaviors or, or, you know, signs that you're trying to kind of read the room and read um, students' behaviors so you can respond best to them. So I, I, my, my big theme on that this year was the, I was very, um, the, the phrase, there, there's that line, uh, um, everybody's going through some kind of battle yeah. that you know nothing about, so be kind. Yeah. Like that, that phrase is sort of my theme. And so I, I gave a lot of students the benefit of the doubt when it came to things like cameras. Um, and, and like, you know, deadlines and, and lot, like, I, I just was, it, I may have over indexed on that a bit on, on the forgiving side, but I just felt like if there was ever a year to over index on forgiveness and, and empathy, it was this year. Um, because you're right. Like some students were just doing it cause they didn't want to, or like, cause you know, there, there may have been like an air of like disrespect for like the, the rule or whatever the case may be. <clears throat> but then, then it comes down to consistency. Like, so I know that there are, there's going to be at least one or two kids who really just don't feel comfortable with their camera on. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, well, then, then I got to figure out, like, like, I don't have time to figure out who is not having their camera on based off of their comfort, based off of maybe, maybe, maybe like the Wi-Fi like is, is better when the camera's off because it's using less bandwidth, like, you know, like who it's a tech issue, um, who, who it's, you know, maybe like they're having, you know, like we, we talked about this last time yesterday, you know, they're taking care of their siblings or like they're kind of, back and forth or like they have the, 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 their iPad set up in the kitchen while they're kind of doing other things around the house mm-hmm. they need to do. Cause they're like, you know, at the house kind of running, running things. That was a reality for many of my students. So I, I just was like, you know what? I would love to see your face. You know, yeah. and I, I didn't see very many students' faces. That's the reality. Yeah. It, it became very, for, it was hard for me. I think it was almost like harder for me emotionally because of my extroverted personality i love that face-to-face interaction even over zoom face-to-face is going to be a better 
experience for my own personality type. Uh, but I just was like, I, I, I really over-index on like benefit of the doubt. You know, I don't know. I, don't, I, I want you to be engaged. However, you can be engaged. And I don't know if that's the right decision, but it was what I, is what I chose to do. I think it was good for efficiency. Like you said, like we don't have time to figure out. Right. We don't have time to, 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 to personally reach out to each student and talk to them about like, turn your camera on or figure out what the deal is on that. Yeah. Wasn't practical. Yeah. Yeah. So beyond the whole camera, I, I mean, the, the camera thing alone, right? Like that, to me, that was the first, um, I might say inflection point of testing how, like basically it was, it was, it was my, it was my first sort of test of, of what remote pedagogy right? Like actually look like, and how do we think about remote learning? And how do we think about what the teacher is expected to do and what the students are expected to do? And I think it's very easy to be like, well, the teacher is expected to present slides. And so you put on the Zoom screen, what you would put on your whiteboard, and then the students turn in the thing on Google Classroom. And like, I think, unless you've been teaching, that's a very cursory sort of understanding of uh, all the different things that can happen. But oh, the, the, <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like, and even then, like, it's much more than that. Even if Right. And there's, there's, there's actually so much um, skillful, like skilled teacher moves that you do to set up a kid well to answer the question. Right. And yeah. that like, you know, call, 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 return if the kid doesn't like answer the question. Right. You, you know, you, you know what I mean? Like standard kind of basic stuff that happens in an in-class discussion. Brandon, what's the answer to question three? I don't know. And then you say, I'm going to come right back to you. Call the kid who says they know the answer. Answer, come back to you. Like that's, sim that's like a simple move that most a lot of teachers do like all the time. And those types of moves are obviously not available to you, right? Like a lot of the fundamental pedagogical moves that you do as a skilled facilitator of the lesson in an in-person setting, those tools are kind of gone. And so I was kind of, I was wondering also like, how did you, because I, I assume you kind of felt similar to me in terms of like ground zero of building up engagement and figuring out what works and what doesn't work. So how did you what did you notice in terms of engagement at the beginning of the year? And like, how did you ad adapt to increasing engagement strategies? Good question. So the strategy you mentioned, uh, call, 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 return, that strategy, I, I actually, I, I did my best to still, I maybe adapted it to Zoom, you know, I would call yeah. students on Zoom out loud. And, and, and the way I would, the way I would approach that would, uh, I, I, I swift, I quickly, I keep using the word swiftly. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I, quickly learned, I quickly learned that, you know, some students just didn't, don't, at, at least at the beginning, at the beginning of the year, especially more so, some students didn't feel comfortable talking over Zoom as much. Yeah. Uh, so one strategy, it was more of like, I think, I think you're right. Like it, it's not the same strategy as you have in the classroom where it's so easy to just be like, boom, 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 back to you. Mm -hmm. But I adapted that to fit the Zoom setting. Um, it, it, it was a bit more time consuming and I had to, I, I had to kind of reconcile that, that time that it would take up because when you ask a whole class of students on zoom, a question, uh, or if you ask a specific student in a whole class of zooms, a whole zoom class, 
a question. It can take a little while for them to respond back. It's not automatic every once in a while. Like there's, you know, internet. And so you don't hear what they say right away. Maybe they're not talking the mic. There's all these other variables that can, that can be a factor in hearing what they have to say. Um, so, but I would still do that. I was, that's one, that's one way I would keep them engaged. I often had students, uh, I, I, anything that involved reading, I would have students read it. I never read anything to my students. I would always have the students read yep. whatever, um, you know, activity we had. Um, uh, let's, let's see. So, um, you mentioned the call, 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 respond if a student says, I don't know. Well, that, like, I, I found that a, a challenge, uh, became, students seemed to, uh, at least students uh, seemed to um, approach their hesitation to answer or like maybe they didn't understand or didn't have an answer. They, they, they found that silence was a good way to opt out of that, I think, mm -hmm. oftentimes. Silence became not for every student, of course, but some students felt more comfortable just not saying anything if they were called. So I made an intentional effort to, to tell them, if you don't know, can you at least type in the chat? I don't know. So that way mm -hmm. I get a response from you. And I know that you aren't saying something. I know that you are hearing me is what it came down to. I think, I think that became a major like communication, like, like, um, principle. Like, I need to know you hear me. Mm -hmm. I need to know that, that you heard the question and I want to know that you legitimately don't know. If you don't know, that's fine. Right. Uh, at, at least right now, like it, of course, not, not everybody understands it in the first time or yeah. the second or the third time, but I need to know that you hear me. And so when I would ask questions in order to engage and gauge my students' uh, understanding, um, I, I made it very intentional. If you don't know, put it put in the chat, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, other, another strategy would be uh, for more like general check for understanding questions for the class. Um, yeah. Maybe it's a question that like is a little more challenging, right? Like, or it's a new topic and I'm just trying to see like, are you tracking? Maybe you see who gets it. Is anybody getting it yet? then I, I would often use the chat for that because that's an easy, the, uh, I think the, there's, there's a little bit less of an emotional hump or, or like confidence, um, like mountain to climb for students to put in the chat. It's just easier. It's like yeah. on the spot. For some reason, I feel like it just, there may have been just a little bit more of a um, timidness or um, like just fear of talking out loud over Zoom. I think that that's a reality that I have to try to like figure out. Yeah, I, I, um, I quickly used, cause I was initially like nervous about the chat, like, cause sometimes, and like some kids were, you know, they would make jokes in the chat. Like nothing was like disrespectful or inappropriate, but there were times at the, be at the beginning of the year, there were times when people were like, you know, buddies were like chatting everyone and like publicly kind of teasing each other and like all that was fine, but it's, it is a little distract. It's distracting when you have this like orange zoom light, right. That's like constantly lighting up. So I would tell people like, sometimes I would just shut the chat off, which you could do, but I would tell, I would tell people, you know, just don't, just don't be blowing up the chat box while I'm trying to deliver it's the same kind of thing that you would say in person, right? Like, don't raise your hand and ask to go to the bathroom when I'm trying to deliver the key points, right? Like, read the room. You're in 11th grade. I mean, you're going to be teaching fifth graders, so it's going to be probably a little bit different. But, you know, yeah. one of the I like teaching 11th grade because you you can be a, a bit more authentic in terms of just saying to a kid, like, you know, read the room. Like, this is not the time or place. And some kids don't 
you know, some kids are further along than others in that, in that sort of social skill set. But um, the chat that I really ended up using, I would say probably by October, November, you know, in, in person on a day-to-day basis, I will, I go, I go one to, I, I probably three or four times a lesson, just as a check-in, like one to five, how are you feeling? Like, are you with me? Right. I do that all the time. And I, I, I got coached, right? Like I got coached one time in a, in a coaching meeting. They were like, that's not really reliable data because like some kids might give you a five and, and they're not actually understanding. And I'm like, I don't think you understand the point of this strategy because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to grade the kids work at the end of the lesson. <laughs> and I will know who understood or who didn't. What, what the purpose of this is, is for me to understand how the kids themselves feel about their own understanding of the lesson right um but i was i constantly i'm like one to five is this confusing because sometimes you say something and you think it's really clear and then it's not clear and and if i look and i have you know some of the high flyers are like nah bro that's a two you really confused me then I'll revise it or I'll ask. Uh, oftentimes what ends up, what would end up happening is I'll explain something and two kids will give me, you know, three, four kids will say, I'm at a four or a five. And then everyone else is like two or three or one. Then, and now I was using that really kind of as a warm calling strategy. And I would say like, okay, Damari, you said a four, repeat what I just said, because apparently most people didn't get it. And that really worked really well because a couple of things would happen. One, you get a lot of data for how the kids are, like you get a lot of really immediate data. These kids say they're at a four or a five. These kids are saying they're at a one or two. What also happens when that Zoom, when when I did that one to five thing in the chat was if the kids are not paying attention as it became routine and they see the orange Zoom chat light up, they will know, oh, okay, I should stop playing Call of Duty right now. And I will, like, Mares is trying to, like, do something. Or t- It was like a visual sort of cue to pay attention because there's some sort of transition point in the lesson. Uh, and so I would... Stop playing Call of Duty. Yeah, <laughs> just press pause. Um, and then, you know, so, it, you know, I would say, like, oftentimes I would, it, 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 I would understand, okay, one to five, are you with me? I pretty much knew generally who was going to say four or five. And then I pretty much knew who was going to say that they were a little bit confused, but they would answer immediately. (laughs) And then I pretty much knew who was, who kind of only answered a one because suddenly they saw the zoom stuff going off. And so that was like, that was a, a quick and easy sort of just engagement strategy. Like, yeah, I understand. Obviously the students might be, wrong about their own self-assessment of their own nursing but at least they're telling me how they are feeling about the content um and i could kind of compare that to their work or their essay or whatever it is i like it i like it what uh what were some maybe new apps or new like kind of tech tricks you learned you mentioned using the chat in this way yeah Um, like what were some other like uh you know tools you you sort of had to like kind of figure out but that ended up working well for you and and, and so i started with nearpod 
think a lot of people started with Nearpod. Um, and Thanks. it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you, you guys did? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I started with Nearpod. Um, it's cool. I think it's a really great software. Um, but for me, as an upper level English teacher, like, and, and also kind of going back to uh, going back to the concerns just around time, like we also had, we had AB days, we had shortened classes, like, there was a lot of assumptions just for like, lack of screen time, right? Like, there was a lot of stuff that the students were just kind of expected to complete on their own. And so, mm. right, like the actual time that you had with Zoom was really, really limited, or, or, or the time that you had to do engaging stuff is sort of limited. And so, especially in the in, later on in the year, um, when I was doing some more complex writing and, and writing of longer pieces, just, I had to make a decision and I'm like, no, actually the essay that I'm asking the kids to write literally takes 20 solid minutes of independent work time. And so if I'm asking them to do 20 minutes of independent work time within a 45 minute lesson on Zoom, I do not really have that much time to like waste five minutes on the Nearpod sort of share out because only three kids will post on the Nearpod. And then I have to like, then I have to transition from the Nearpod into Google Classroom and be like, all right, kids, go to Google Classroom and um, open up this assignment. Like I actually had <laughs> just to kind of make fun of my kids one time, I made my Zoom background my uh, slide with a quote from me that said it's posted on Google Classroom, Jim Mayers. And that was like <laughs> my entire Zoom background um, because it got to the point, right? Where it's just like, really what I just need you to do is have your, have the Google Doc open. And I yeah. need, and I'm like, I'm going to be monitoring you and I'm going to be watching you write. Um, and so what I would do, <laughs> what I would do is I would have um, the vast majority of my time just because of time constraints. And I would use Nearpod for, uh, if I had a specific purpose of like collaborating in a specific way or using a specific feature of the Nearpod, like the biggest features I had from Nearpod were the collaborate board. Um, yeah. I didn't have any, the, the collaborate board was a big one. And I would use, I would use the slides obviously to push out content. Um, but eventually what ended up happening was I just would share my screen all the time. I just, get on Zoom, share the screen. I would have Google slide deck. I just would have my slide deck ready to go. Yeah. If I needed them to pay attention to the slides, I was just sharing my screen, Google slides or whatever. And then whatever I wanted them to open up, I would immediately go into Google Classroom and open up the thing that I had posted for them in Google Classroom because that visual where it was going to help the kids who, you know, didn't know what to open up or didn't hear the instructions or whatever. So, Honestly, I was because it's because it was an upper level writing course, and I didn't really need a whole lot of some of those. In, and, and I had a textbook. I'm a huge fan of textbooks. I know a lot of people don't like textbooks, but I'm I'm ride or die textbook man. Like they ten have, years. Have, I was actually thinking about that exact uh, like randomly. I was thinking about like textbooks and like my my sort of preconceived notions about textbooks. I think I was like super anti-textbook for no particular reason. I was like, obviously yeah. more content, it's so much better, more organic and authentic. And, but like good textbooks have a really solid place. Oh yeah, in, yeah. 
We're both anti-textbook because we were brought up with TFA who thought they could reinvent the whole system. And obviously <laughs> they can't. And there are a lot of really bad textbooks out there. There are a lot <laughs> of bad textbooks, like, yes. You got, you got to have a good one. I think, I think that's, yeah. that's a reality too, we got to acknowledge. I hear that, man. Uh, so what, I mean, I would kind of rambled about that. What were the tools you used? Like you taught yeah. science. That yeah, must have been hard. Mine are more science specific. Um, but, but like Nearpod was like my go-to like new app that I learned. And, and it, I mean, it wasn't a whole lot to learn. It's just basically like a really awesome way to present like keynotes or mm-hmm. PowerPoints with way more interact. It's just, it was, it was I like the, the, the uh, ability for like quick quizzes and like yep. really, really quick feedback. I used what, what it was really helpful for me was I could film a lab, you know, uh, and then I have a quick quiz, like, you know, or, or a quick, like, uh, like share wall where students can just like, well, what did you observe? A really, really good way to, to measure engagement what is, is the question, what did you observe? Yep. That's a question that is pretty science specific, but I think you can still, I mean, you can, that, that's a very general question. You can, you can take to almost any subject, I think, like, just to introduce a new idea like what do you observe i say that i say what do you notice all the time we read something what do you notice immediately something like that uh and i think that's a really good like tool that like that is something that you can take from like any classroom setting you can ask that question as a way to gauge uh you know as a way to to check for who's Mm -hmm. just listening and watching because you know i i remind students of course as i ask the question literally like it can be anything that you observe. And I, I, I noticed when I was doing like classwork grades and checkoffs, the most consistent submissions I got were Nearpod assignments. Students, uh, yeah. I had a couple of students who just didn't do, because, you know, I would, I had PDFs of practice problems and PDFs of, of questions and mm-hmm. I had students submit lab write-ups and stuff like that. Virtual apps um, for like other tools I'll talk about. I'll just mention some other tools if anybody is in the sciences and would like some of those those resources um probably heard of them but just just to kind of reiterate what i use in zoom and, and the remote learning setting but students who didn't submit anything that i had on pdf or something like that they would do nearpod stuff yeah um and they, they would they would come they would like answer questions in the quiz like things like that and i don't know if it's just like the nearpod format just was easy to navigate for them or just because mm-hmm. maybe the maybe it was like right after a lab video that they were more engaged with because I'm doing like a cool experiment or something like that. I, I don't necessarily know the reason, but uh, that would be my prediction is, is you know, near, Nearpod is, a, it's a, it flows nicely and is, is, is a great way to engage students in the setting. I think it's a great way to engage students in like the regular setting too, maybe more like the flip classroom setting, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of power to, uh, a lot of potential for like a flip classroom setting. Um, so I, I may, you know, um, we'll see how next year looks, but it's, it's, I'll have it in my back pocket as a potential tool to use in the future, even in, in the in-person setting. Um, yeah. For science, I'll briefly talk about that. Um, FET simulations, P-H-E-T. Those are, those are becoming pretty uh, mainstream. They've been, they've been around for a while, but what they have been doing in the last like five plus years uh, is making more and more of them html5 as opposed to just java so it is easier to run you can just go to your web go to any anything that has a browser you can you can just give the link to the students and they can open it up so it's just more much much more easy for students to access mm-hmm. um so that was a really awesome way for me to do like legitimate labs because ultimately you know it, a lab is an investigation um, that allows you to you know test an independent variable and a dependent variable and that that was like if i can get my students to really practice this and end visualize like right. chemical concepts then you know what like this year was was still net positive there, there yeah. was some value 
Um, and, and what the simulations do provide that I would still use them in the real class, of course, is simulations offer a really awesome look at uh, like really, really difficult to visualize concepts like the atom mm -hmm. or gas laws, visualizing how gases will behave like on the atomic level. Yeah. Because you can do an experiment in, in our classroom with, with a balloon and, and observe like, oh, we heat the balloon up, it expands, we cool it down in the fridge or the freezer and you see it shrink. But, you know, you just see on the macro scale, the balloon, right? You don't yeah. see the, the molecules of the air molecules inside the balloon and, and observe their kinetic energies and the difference in the speed, like from the freezer to the room. You can imagine it, but having a visual for that is so much more powerful, I think, for students. So FET simulations were big. And there was a, a new app that I actually... Uh, was like uh, they emailed a bunch of science teachers like kind of you know randomly like two years ago or three years I think 2019 maybe was when they first reached out and I was part of like the beta testing group for it in person I think it was in 2019 fall of 2019 into like you know spring of 2020 when we went remote um, and the the app is called collisions and it's a chemistry specific app so this is like very like if you teach chemistry like or, or maybe like physical science you know yeah. Uh, eighth grade physical science that's a really awesome app it's it's basically games that allow students to um learn the chemistry concepts so it's gamifying the gamification of learning yeah. uh which could be a whole topic for another oh, yeah. oh yeah but i think gamification of learning is the gamification is is the theme we see everywhere nowadays and you know if, if you're doing anything on anything technological right now whether it's like, you know, Robin Hood or TikTok or like, you know, they're gamifying everything, you know? Yeah. So Let me I think gamifying science and chemistry, like, why not? Like, it, yeah. I really did enjoy, I think I had mixed, mixed, um, mixed reviews for my students when they were in person, like the first year I did it. Some students kind of like, it was kind of dumb, like, you know, like just mm. playing the game. A few students kind of liked it, but it, when we were doing remote learning, I think it was partially probably just because it was different and a new way to learn and and students hadn't seen like this before and and you know for remote learning it was a it was a it was a nice switch from the norm um mm -hmm. so you know I, that would be like what gamification uh is there for your subject area i'm sure that there are new apps coming out uh or like maybe there already are some apps you've heard of they haven't tried so just just to, to plug that arena of just like you know obviously it should it should be one tool in your toolkit it shouldn't be the whole unit or anything like that but it is a it is a good way to just promote engagement so yeah let me um a couple a couple questions here that that it's in, it's 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 fascinating to hear this from a from a science perspective and um let me express one concern that i have about the whole gamification uh, thing and I'm, yeah, yeah. and I'm curious because because it's, it's not something that I attempt that much because and, and perhaps this is like I don't know if this is like discipline specific or if this is just me like growing older and more crotchety and like stuck in my ways <laughs> right but like okay as a high school English teacher something that I take very like something that I really value and one of the big reasons right like that I want to stay in teaching is is learning for its own sake and right right so like something that I think is incredibly powerful about the English classroom is like give you can give a kid a short text 
and a notebook and a pen. And that's all you really need to have like a really life-changing experience or realization, right? And so like to me, the a, a minimalist sort of approach, right, to the humanities to me has a lot of value. Um, and I and I I didn't always used to sort of be this way because I was very into like, oh, what's the coolest app and what's the new tech thing? And and um, yeah. I mentioned in the intro, like we partnered with new tech and project-based learning, right? So like I'm I'm not trying to say that it doesn't have value, but I sometimes wonder if, I sometimes kind of wonder if things like, and, and I should say, I don't really know a whole lot about what you mean by gamification of learning, but I do know a little bit about it. And, and, and where my concern of this is coming from is like, at what point are we doing too much to, oh, yeah. uh, to, to package something for the kid that's like, I'm going to do this thing for you in order to make this learning really cool and interesting for you. When in fact, the way that molecules behave on the surface level and how they interact with each other differently on the surface than within the inside of the atom or whatever, like this stuff is interesting on its own. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I feel like sometimes we're doing a little too much. We're not giving the content enough credit to say, no, look at this, look at how cool this is. And just instead of sort of packaging it, um, I don't know. I feel like you get the idea of what I'm saying. So I want you to just kind of respond to that. Like what oh, yeah. is gamification to you? How do you use it? And how do you, how do you balance that with some of the concerns about, you know, learning for its own sake? That is a very good question. And I think you point out the drawback to the gamification approach. Um, as technology improves, um, the ability for gamification, you know, very general term. Um, but th- there's only going to be more apps. There's only going to be more games. There's only going to be more, I feel, you know, unless something changes, but I feel like the direction we're headed, it, like, I think as teachers, like, it, it's it's important to be aware of these as tools. You mentioned, you mentioned like, atoms are awesome in of themselves, or like, just like, like that, that idea of like, molecules and chemical reactions should be enough. And mm-hmm. in theory, like as a person who loves science, right, it's more than enough for me. Right, I'm way over here. I'm in right, that percent. Right. There's like maybe like that that clump in the middle. You know, people who are like generally like interested in like you know science is cool. It's interesting. People who like Bill Nye the Science Guy and like watch science videos on the internet. Like, you know, there's there's like uh, like I think for for all of us, like there's probably like 80 percent where yes, I think a, a, a science lab is enough. But remember, our, we got to think about in our classroom, students are all over the mat. And yeah. Yeah, for some yeah, students, that's a great point. Some students love games. Some students, all they do, all they think about is like video games. Like that's like, you know, and, and so for me, it's, you know, like, and like I said, um, not all my, like all, not all my students were into it the first year that I did it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think this year with remote learning, students were more into it because it was just like, a different way to visualize things. And I think for this, this app I'm talking about specifically, it's really good when it comes to visualizing what happens on the atomic level when um, say you, you heat up, uh, like you're making coffee and heat water up and you're trying to observe what's actually happening between the, the intermolecular forces of the water molecules. Like, okay, mm-hmm. like 
like what does that look like when water molecules is liquid that are kind of bound together by this like almost like a magnetic attraction what actually happens to the energy that uh, that is holding those together and how does the energy affect that that connection um, when it breaks and whatnot so students can uh, you can go through the, the the games i think part part of gamification and making it effective is like you don't just give them the game and like say here you go like like it, it's not a pacifier, if that makes sense, like to where they're, they're something for them to just do that's like educational, like an educational computer game. Like those were not for a long time. Mm-hmm. To make it effective, you have to walk through it with them and make sure they understand like the value and how it can help them understand the content. There's got to be a connection to like what we're doing in class. So I think um, when, when it comes to gamification, like I, 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 I think I, in, in the right way, I support it using the right context i support it and also i don't think it should it should be more in the enrichment category i think it should not be like the end all be all it should not be um necessary and you know there may be exceptions um you know depending on the assignment depending on like the context etc depending Mm -hmm. on the course even but i think in general though yeah i think like the gamification like we shouldn't gamify education like just, right. I, don't, I don't think it's a silver bullet or anything that's going to like change education. But I do think that there is a you know, significant percent of students that, I mean, gaming as like a, as a, it, it's becoming a sport. It's becoming, yeah. like I was saying, it's becoming so much more part of our lives. And I think my natural inclination is when it comes to these kinds of major developments in society like in this case gamification like let's let's lean into that just a little bit just enough to reach students that we wouldn't be able to reach otherwise or that this would be a very powerful way to reach them a way to engage them and say oh wow like this is actually kind of fun learn about this and and then maybe maybe then that opens the door to, Mm -hmm. to then be receptive to chemical reactions are often in themselves you know it could be a door into that uh, so that, that's that's my thoughts on that. Like I, I agree with you. I think I think I agree with you. I think your your thoughts and your concerns about it are very valid. Um, and I think as far as like tools and the toolkit, it's it's not going to be like my number one. But I do think when there is an opportunity, and I, I if you if my lesson like content like was a pie chart, like it's a very my what I was talking about is like a pretty thin slice of that pie chart. It was not yeah. in like a heavy uh majority or anything like that so well it's it's super helpful and i i yeah i think um you raise a lot of good points about engagement and yeah like you do as a teacher you have you have an obligation to you do have have somewhat of an obligation to think about and package your content you're a salesman in some in some respects right like you have to you have to figure out a way to deliver the thing that you're personally really passionate about to an audience which which might not be passionate about that right like they're there because they got to be there and you gotta you gotta sort of hook them in a way you have yeah you have to i i really appreciate that perspective of meeting meeting the kids where they are right if they're on tiktok if they're on the video games if you're using some structures and routines that are familiar to them and it reminds me of a routine honestly i use vocabulary.com uh which is a which is a great tool um for sure and it was it was one of the most successful routines that i had in in visual learning because or in visual not visual 
what no, did we do? Virtual? Zoom school, virtual learning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> visual learning is it, also I mean, important. it is visual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like all visual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, talking earlier about, um, and we'll we'll talk a little, I'm sure we'll talk more about like content or our engagement strategies, but for a large portion of the year, I had this this vocabulary routine. It was once a week, it was a list. I went through like etymological lists, right? So I had lists of words with specific Greek and Latin roots. Um, and the Greek and Latin roots that I had were thematically related somehow to whatever the unit was. But I would give, you know, the kids had a list of like 12 to 18 words or whatever that had, you know, bene and mal, right? Like, those Greek and Latin roots meaning good and bad, and they had these lists or whatever. And the routine was you log in zoom, immediately, the first 10 minutes of class, I don't say anything. You are practicing the list for vocabulary. You have 10 minutes to practice the list. Uh, the quiz is going to be on Friday. During, the, during that time, I'm going to play the song of the day that you requested, and we'll joke around a little bit on the Zoom chat but you are practicing vocabulary. And at the end of that 10 minutes, 10 minutes into the lesson, boom, I would share the screen. And what's cool about, what, what was cool about vocabulary.com was that you can isolate data for that, for that day. And so I would say at the end of 10 minutes, I would be like, in this last 10 minutes, these three kids answered 72 questions. But you, on you over here, you didn't answer any question, right? So I would immediately kind of publicly share data. It was very concrete, very sort of in the moment of like, you did this, you're at this percent mastery and it, um, of the list, like you're ready for the quiz. And it was daily, right? And that routine, I saw a lot of success building that up. And I feel like, you know, that has like the leaderboard effect in certain steps for that's kind of similar, I think, to what you're talking about with gamification. So I yeah. do sort of use that idea. Um, I think, well, yeah, gamification, I don't think is limited to like apps and video right. game type learning. I don't think it's limited to that. I think that's where I was going with it because that's what I was thinking about. But you bring up a good point that gamification, like, anytime you that, that's a way to make learning fun when like a really easy way to make learning fun for students like on the simplest of tasks you yeah know? yeah it's and really and yeah. chunking things that are really like bite-sized and and concrete and clear and actionable all right this is this has been a lot of fun thanks jimmy thanks for sharing your perspective on on all of these things um and listeners thank you so much for for listening in um you know uh, as always, if you have questions, we, we love to hear your thoughts uh, or your comments. Leave a comment down below. Um, you know, what, how, how was remote teaching for you? What were some, some highs, some lows, or some strategies? Like we talked about strategies that we're going to take with us into this next school year, where we're, fingers crossed, going to be in person the whole year. And, you know, so there, there's, uh, I think, some definite lessons to be, to be had. So we'd love to hear from you on that. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Hit that subscribe button. Hope, hope, uh, hope to, uh, see see you all hear from you all um for our next episode uh and then hopefully by the time of publication we can put together a website and some socials that you can reach out so uh we'll have we'll share that but thanks brandon this was a cool conversation and uh I'm looking forward to the next one yeah thanks so much jimmy so much fun like i we're going out of town this weekend so i gotta like make sure I got two things. I got. I want to pack, and I got to. I got to do a twenty-mile training run. That a boy. How's the training going? So, it's going, man. Yeah. It's, 
intense. Like I, yeah. I, I hadn't, I had, I just kind of got on a training plan. Like last this, like this week was the first week really like going hard with, with a specific plan. And, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of miles, <laughs> like I'm going to yeah. put way more miles on than I have ever put on before. Um, so yeah, yeah, as a man. former distance, as a former distance runner, I I can empathize with you. I'm not running that volume at all. Um, oh, for sure. Oh, I know you can empathize, man. Yeah, you, you've been there.